Let's open up our Bibles together, our ongoing exposition of the book of Hebrews. We're in chapter 12. We'll go ahead and start reading in verse 1, though our text for study today will be verses 3 through 6. For the context, follow along as I begin reading chapter 12, verse 1 of Hebrews. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation, which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, Father, God, take these words, your words, instill them in our hearts. Lord, this is a passage and a teaching that it is so easy for our flesh to rise up against, for sin to easily ensnare us in the midst of it, that we pray against that. We pray against our own fleshly desires. We pray against our own ability to reject your truth and choose evil. And we pray, Lord, for deliverance in the knowledge of your purposeful hand in training us through chastening. Let us come through this mature. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have studied an entire chapter on those who ran a faith race before us. They are now our witnesses, if you will, they are those that are behind us who have passed the baton of faith into our hands, and now it is our turn to run our lap. To run, getting away from the weight of false religious things and the sin that so easily would entangle us and slow us down and trip us up. Looking into Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. It is to him we are looking. And we are trying to run the race. And so since this is the metaphor that God used to teach this, I shall retain it for my examples. If you're going to run, you have to take tutelage from your coach. Even the greatest of athletes don't go to the Olympics by themselves. They go with their coaches who have been an 
integral part of their training and their lives, pushing them on, correcting them constantly, urging them to greater success by greater attention to detail. I remember when I was studying sports medicine at Montana State University, I had the privilege of learning biomechanics and kinesiology from a professor who had written the book on the subject. And I was amazed at how very important it was to break down every movement that a person's body goes through for any sport. The exactness of the body's positions to swing the golf club that can hit the little golf ball for the greatest precision, length of drive, etc. In my world, the world of weightlifting, I wrote a paper on the clean and jerk. How important it was where those weights were as you lifted them, your body position, speed, tempo, all of those different things that went into that exchange so that weight could go over your head and you could stand up without falling flat or being crushed by it. It takes coaches who watch you do it and then say, no, not like that, like this. If you fail to take those lessons, you will run poorly. You will lift poorly. You will swing the golf club inadequately and will be the joke of the golf course. He never learns. He slices it every single time. Some of us are living Christian lives like that. Not seeming to progress in maturity Pastor, you're talking about running. Yes, God chose this metaphor. Running takes many forms, and you will find that the older you get and the more mature you get in a Christian walk, and I mean true maturity, you have developed your technique of living the life according to the scriptures so that when your energy is lower, you actually run faster. and hit the mark more than you miss it. But you must listen to the coach. And coaches, when they're going to take on an athlete or not, are looking for two specific key features before they take on that athlete to train them. The first that they look at is ability. Ability. Does this person have the natural ability to do this sport? If you're going to be a short-distance runner, you just got to be fast naturally. He can make you faster, but you have to have some of that yourself. If you're slower, that's okay. You can be a long-distance runner, which actually parallels the Christian life much more closely. For we have in this very text... Endurance. Endurance. First ability, and by the way, if you're saved, you have that. 
you have been enabled to run the faith race. The second is trainability. The coach looks, does he have the ability or she have the ability? Are they trainable? Trainability. Do they listen and do what I tell them to do, trusting that this will make them better? Or do they rebel against that and defy it and say things like, I'm fast enough? So the ability is needed to reach full potential, but it only comes through coaching, through training, they must be teachable. This very example is given to us here. The example is Jesus Christ himself. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, notice. Consider him, verse 3 begins. Consider him. Jesus, who is the forerunner, he is the author of faith, and he's also the one that finished running as a human the faith race, who ran it perfectly. Of all that we studied, all of the people of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, only Jesus ran it to perfect completion, to perfect maturity, even learning. Jesus learned obedience, Hebrews tells us, through the things which he suffered. He learned. He was teachable. He was trainable. We consider him and consider his endurance. First, we consider him who endured. He who endured what? Such hostility from sinners. This race isn't a race like in the Olympics where the track is cleared for you and you get to run in your lane, and if anyone crosses your lane, they get penalized. No, this is the faith race where there are rocks, gullies, mud, trenches, mountains, people elbowing you aside, even in the church. That's the faith race. You won't learn to run this way in Joel Osteen's church. He thinks you're running on a track. It's been paved before you. You just visualize the goal and you're there. Well, I got news for him. This is what God said. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners. He who sinned not came unto his own, and his own received him not, called him every name in the book, accused him of every sort of sin in the book, and denied the reality of his miracles, his message, his mercy, his love, and he endured, trusting the Father. We are to look to him as our example of endurance for no one ever endured the testing of faith more than Jesus Christ. And some of you might say in your heart, well, wait a minute, he didn't have to walk like me. He's different. No, he wasn't different. You might be saying, well, he was God, right? He lived a perfect life. Yeah, that means he never got a break from the temptations and from the struggles like you do when you give in to them temptations. As soon as you give in, the pressure goes away, right? Struggle's over. You're not enduring. You just quit. 
doesn't take any endurance to quit. That's the easy thing. You walk off the track. The others run by. Oh, I just need to take a breath. Next thing you know, you're still sitting there two years later. Same problem. Same situation. Learn nothing. He endured hostility, and it tells us why. Lest you consider him, lest you become weary. Has anybody ever gotten tired of following Jesus? Don't say amen. I know you're all here already. You haven't gotten tired yet. You will. Or you're not a Christian. Weariness. Never forget, Professor Roscup always used to say to us, weary in the work, not weary of the work. Big difference there. Weary in the work, not weary of the work. Christ became weary, but he kept on working. Lest you become discouraged in your souls. How easy it is to become discouraged in your soul. That's the human condition which Jesus, of course, felt. He became tired. He became hungry. He was full of grief. So easy to be discouraged. Where are we going with all of this? I want you to skip down and just get a commercial here for a moment. Hebrews 12 and 12. Hebrews 12, verse 12. Therefore, we're not, we're not done studying what's there yet, so this is coming after we study it, then we can say therefore. So what we study today will be part of it, what we study next week will be part of it, and then we'll say, therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed, strengthened. Consider him who endured, lest you become weary, lest you become discouraged in your soul. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Be trainable like him. We've been looking at four fundamentals for reaching the finish of the faith race. And the second fundamental is, comes to us today. The first was be ready. Be ready, be prepared, if you will, to run the faith race the things you must do before you run, and now be trainable. Be trainable. For athletes who refuse to be trained by their coaches, fail. As will all Christians who refuse the training offered by their Lord. You will fail. Therefore, let us learn to be trainable. Let us learn to be teachable that we might finish the faith race with the highest maturity, which means efficiency, which means precision in following the Lord Jesus Christ and his example. Be trainable. Well, I've marked out five keys to trainability. Today, I'll only do two of them. Good Lord willing. Five keys to trainability. Number one, verse four, realize your potential. 
A lot of Christians have problems here. Realizing your potential in Christ as a believer who is running the faith race. I don't care if you want to run or not. God didn't give you that option. As soon as you believed, you got put in the race of life. And you get a run. How well you run is determined by your readiness and then your trainability. And part of your trainability is to realize your own potential. What do you think you can do? Sometimes you look at other people, you're like, I can't do that. That's the first step anyway. But you have potential to run well. Potential. Realize it. Verse 4, listen. You have not yet... Stop there. You have not yet. There's potential. Right in those two little worlds, words, not yet. See, you're not done yet. Some of you are like, I'm, I'm done this far as I'm going to ever get. This is it for me. No, he says, you have not yet resisted. You have not yet gone this distance of your potential. There's more to be gained. There's more to be done. There's more to be achieved. There's more things. The minutia now. See, and that's the thing about the Christian life. You start out thinking, I believed in Jesus. And it's, oh, oh, ee, and you're happy, and it's going. And if somebody wants to know you're a Christian, you're first to raise your hand. That's me. I'm one of them. I've been saved by the blood of the Lamb. I want everybody to know about it. And you start rolling along. And then the next thing you know, all those things that you, for a little while, you weren't even thinking about. You're so happy to be saved. The next thing you know, uh-oh. I'm thinking like I used to think. A little bit later, I'm doing like I used to do. Sin that so easily ensnares as ensnared. You've gotten a little problem here. You got weight coming on. Here's somebody teaching you this in church. Somebody on the TV is teaching you that. And they don't seem to meet. Somebody on the radio is teaching you this. And then the internet age came. And then somebody's blogging this. And then somebody's got a podcast on that. And there's this, all this stuff. And you're like, hey, I don't even know how to do this. What is the truth, you would say with Pilate? And you start realizing that you don't even know which trainer to listen to. Let me tell you something. If you've got 50 coaches, you're going to go in 50 directions. So be careful about who's training you. Oh, that sounds like the pastor just wants us to listen to him and nobody else. Somebody might say. I didn't say that. But who do you know better? There's a question to ask. Who are you going to put yourself under? What is the church? Those are things you need to decide. Who's your coach? Better be someone who knows about running. Maybe you've seen him run. You have not yet resisted. There's potential here, even potential for resistance. And you know if you're going to train, you're going to train against resistance. The resistance of yourself. You know, the hardest thing in training is not what you have to do. It's what happens in your head and your heart even while you're doing it or before you do it. You want to go to the gym today? 
You want to go to the gym? I said you want to go to the gym today, huh? Like now? Well, yeah, like now. Maybe tomorrow. I think tomorrow I'll feel more like, like training than I do today. And there it is. Not one drop of sweat has come off the brow and the battle's lost. Resistance has been met and you've been vanquished. Resistance. You've not yet resisted of this opposing force. There's an active opposition. It comes from inside and it also comes from outside. Do you know how much you can stand? Do you know how much you can take? Do you know how much you can endure? Not yet you don't. Not yet. For you've not yet resisted all the pressure that is there. Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians, by the way, who we often call cruddy because so many sins that entangle were going on in that church. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says this, verse 12, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands... Take heed lest he fall. So if you think you've got it, you've got it down. I'm the fastest one here. <laughs> Take heed lest you fall. No temptation, listen, has overtaken you except which is common to man. So Jesus was the first tempted. He was tempted at all points as a man, yet without sin. He knows every point of it. He's our example. He's the one we're considering. And for us, there is no temptation that has overtaken you except what is common to man. That means all of us, men and women, of all of mankind, whatever temptation you have. Because you know how we, re we reason this out, right? We're like, well, I know they can walk with Jesus and do this stuff, but man, they don't have the stuff I got. They don't know how hard my life is. They don't know how hard it is for me. Wrong. That's resistance. And you got to push through that and say, no, everybody is tempted like this. I'm just one of everybody else. This is common. You're not special where temptation is concerned. Jesus was tempted 40 days, 40 nights. After 40 days, 40 nights of fasting. How long have you gone without food and then said, tempt me? You'd fold up like a lawn chair. You fold up even sooner if you haven't been trained. Jesus took the training and trusted Jesus after 40 days and 40 nights. You've not been overtaken by anything. Except what's common to man, but God is faithful. Did you hear that? But God is faithful. What is faith about? Knowing God is faithful. 
God is faithful, listen, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also come a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God trains in sequence. Not every Christian is in the same place in their training as every other Christian. God is coaching you each one on something specific right now. And I bet you if I started asking, you started thinking, you'd say, yeah. There seems to be some inefficiency in my running style. I'm not picking my knees up. And he's been working on that. I'm not rolling over my heel properly. And he's been working with me on that. But you know what a good coach does? A good coach knows how to meter out the training. Incrementally. If God told us how much we were going to have to actually achieve on the first day of our Christian walk, we'd all walk away. I'm going to have to face what? You're going to bring that into my life? Well, like how long do I have till then? But real life, with a real coach, with real Christianity, you're going to get a, a lesson, and then just as soon as you start getting on top of that, you know what's going to come? <laughs> Another one. So you can either say, well, nobody's perfect enough for you. I'm not doing that anymore. That's all you got to do is critique me. Or you can look at the coach a little different. There is a way of escape. You'll be able to bear it. And you know the way you bear it? You go through it. See, God develops endurance in his runners, and he did it even with the prophets. One of my favorite prophets is the prophet Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah, chapter 12, poor Jeremiah, man, he had the greatest start. He's a young prophet, and there's a new young king on the throne in Judah, Josiah. He's a good king. He's a righteous king. Uh, uh, Jeremiah's prophesying, and Josiah is bringing about the reforms and getting idolatry out of the land of, of Judah, and there's a revival going on. It seems like things are going great, and then Josiah goes out and gets himself killed. He dies. Jeremiah's alone, and he's left with the sons of Josiah who are not like their father. And they go astray and start worshiping idols and doing all these other things. And Jeremiah feels like he's the only one in the land that's standing up and saying, no, we have to run for the Lord. We have to go in the Lord's way. And he spends a bunch of time before chapter 12 complaining to God, which, of course, is very unlike any in this room, but Jeremiah the prophet did it. He's complaining to God about his lot in life, that God called him to be a prophet, and he has to be here enduring all this, watching the decline of his own people. They won't listen. And so Jeremiah complains, and you know how God answers him? Look at this in verse 5 of Jeremiah chapter 12. Here is a coach. If you have run with the footmen, God says to Jeremiah, and they have wearied you, how then will you contend with horses? <laughs> what? Is this figurative? Is this metaphor? No, I think he's teaching something real here. So you've been running against other men. And if they have got you all worn out, how are you going to do when I make you run against the horses? 
And don't we cry like that? <laughs> I want to get off. Stop the ride. I've taken enough. If they've wearied you, how will you run with the horses? Now listen to this. And if in the land of peace, which means in the level land, like running on the track with the lanes for the Olympics, in which you trusted they wearied you. You know, it's one thing when they give you a lane, you don't have to worry about going astray. Just stay in your lane. Run. That's good training, but this is real life. How then will you do in the floodplain of the Jordan? And what's the floodplain of the Jordan like? Well, it's like the Missouri breaks right to our east. And when that baby's flooding and when it's raining and the gumbo muck, you want to see gumbo muck go to that Missouri breaks. You just drive in there when it's raining. See how you do coming out. You may not get out. How about if you have to walk out? So he is saying, by example, you've run on a track. Now, how are you going to get ready to run in the muck on the uneven ground? What is God telling Jeremiah? You're in training, and this is actually easier than what it's going to get. Christian, we need this message here in the United States of America. We're not coasting into the kingdom. We're not saved to say, well, God's got the tribulation coming. Let's go out and make a compound in the middle of the wilderness there and get the world away from us and we'll all be fine. Wrong. Go into all the world and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you do, it's going to get muddy. And when you are there proclaiming the word of God, somebody's going to have two thoughts to put together and will have thought some of these things and they're going to throw it right in front of you and they're running like a horse. And you're thinking, I'm the dumbest guy that ever shared the gospel because this guy's eating my lunch. Which is exactly why we're studying the problem of evil in Sunday school and some of you come and some of you don't. Because the problem of evil will come up and how will you handle it unless you've taken the training? i got to keep moving on. Another example, Peter himself. Now, if there ever was a strong man willing to speak, it's Peter. He's a tough guy. He's a big guy. He's a loud guy. Jesus shocks him one day. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. The Lord said, Simon, Simon. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Welcome to the walk with Christ. If you want to know what happens behind the scenes sometimes, this is what happens. And Satan has come directly to God, and he does have access. Read the book of Job. And God either allows or disallows certain things that Satan gets to do. And Satan said, I want Peter. I want to sift him like wheat. I want to put him on the threshing floor and I'm going to beat him up good. And we'll see what comes out of him. Listen to what Jesus said, verse 32, but I have prayed for you. I mean, I can't help but think a little bit, well, could you maybe do a little more than that? He said, but I've prayed for you. So when we think prayer is nothing, it's something. 
I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Wait a minute. Shouldn't he have prayed, take away Satan? Shouldn't he have said, God, don't let poor Peter have to have this happen to him? No. I think he prayed for the best for him. And the best is this. Your faith should not fail. As you go through it, your faith will not fail. And listen, and when you have returned to me, strengthen the brethren. So he's just predicted failure. Welcome to Christ. Some of you are going to fail. Now let me rephrase that properly. All of you are going to fail. But we should be praying for each other that our faith does not fail. And you know what that looks like? We get back up, repent, and start listening to the coach. And we follow. And we follow. But I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, that's getting back up, strengthen your brethren. Call on them. You can go through this. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. We just read, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed in striving against sin. And you know what? Peter hadn't yet then either. But he was confident. He was confident in himself. His faith was in me. You know, all these other schlubs, you know, those 11 guys that keep following us around Jesus, they're probably going to run, but not this guy who's got two thumbs and will never fail, Pete. Even to death. Oh, yeah. Then he said, then Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times, deny three times that you know me. How does, there, how does anyone recover from that? See, this should give us great compassion on our brothers and sisters. We got an apostle who was a Jesus denier. who then ministered to strengthen the brothers. What did he need to learn? He needed to learn that he was weak and he didn't even get close to death in striving against his own sinful pride. All he had was a servant girl or two say, hey, weren't you one of the disciples? And he said, no. And another one said, that was one of the ones. And he said, blankety blank, no. Is that recoverable or is he out of Christ for life? Well, many churches, that's what we do. Throw him out. Jesus didn't throw him out. And when he returned, strengthen the brother. So he didn't say return and keep on failing. Return and keep being weak, prideful. Be strong and strengthen others with that story of your weakness and the strength of God. If you run against the 
footmen and they worried you, how will you contend with horses? In Ephesians, Paul warns us, you do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all things to stand. You are going to meet resistance. You need to resist in the right way with the armor of God. And though I cannot get into it today, you should read that soon. Ephesians chapter 6. You've not yet resisted the bloodshed. That means death. We've read of the martyrs. Of these people in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 35. And others were tortured. Not accepting deliverance. Why? Because they were told if you recant, if you follow our way, the world's way, we'll let you live. But they wouldn't. They followed in faith. Not accepting the deliverance that would come by denying their Lord, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. You've not resisted to bloodshed. You know what I learned when I went into the army? I learned you can take more than you think you can take. And I thought I could take quite a bit. I spent my life in the gym. I, I lived on no pain, no gain. I worshiped that idol. Then I got in the military, and I'll never forget. I'll never forget what they told us when I got to airborne school. And it got tough, and they'd say this. You'll pass out before you die. Huh? Isn't that very encouraging? You think you're going to die, but you're not. You'll pass out before you die. You think this is going to kill you. It's not going to kill you. You'll pass out first. Keep on going. You have potential. Christian, hear me, even for martyrdom. But you're not trained yet. You've not yet resisted unto bloodshed and striving against sin. Your sin that wants to quit, to leave the faith behind. We hang on, we hold out, we go on, we run because we remember we have the potential even to die for Christ. It's in the text. Second, remember your position. Your position. First your potential, but now your position. Where are you on this team of runners that are running? And every position is important, vital, and essential. And the position you play as a Christian is this. Son. Verse 5, Hebrews 12. And have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as what? Sons. As sons. You're a son. Your potential is even unto death in faith. Your position is that you are a son of God, very God. And along with this, he gives two negative 
and then two positive instructions to sons. The first negative, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Don't despise it. Oligorizo in the Greek. It means to regard something as of little value. To look down on it with contempt. So when the coach is chastening the runner, no, knees higher, knees higher, toes in, toes in, toes in. What are you doing? Come on, keep it together. No, you're dropping your head now. Back straight, come on, move the arms. If you can't do that, just go run laps until I'm tired. If you look at that with contempt as of being little value, you're not understanding your position. And your position as sons means that there is a purpose for the training, for the chastening. Sometimes we think what God has allowed in our lives is simply punishment, right? You been there? You ever thought about that? So I had this one person tell me one time, well, I try and live my Christian life in such a way that God will never chasten me. He'll never punish me. You know, and I was sad for that person. I'm sad for that person because they're trying to avoid the very thing that will make them better. The very thing that they need to hear. You know, the hardest messages are the ones we don't want to hear. Can I have an amen? If you walk with Christ for a while, you've had somebody said, you know, I see you're having this pattern in your life. You're having trouble with it. And you're like, huh? And what you really mean is, it shows? Oh, no. I've been caught running without good form. And the best thing is that they tell you that. So that you can run faster, like maybe against horses. It's not just punishment. It's purposeful. And there's instructive chastening. Chastening means to be corrected, to be brought into line. Psalm 94, listen, verse 12. Blessed is the man, blessed is the man whom you instruct, O Lord, and teach out of your law. You know, the law really gets us, doesn't it? As soon as we see the straight and narrow of the law, we realize, I haven't been being straight. I need to get straightened out. That's a blessing to get straightened out that you may give him rest from the days of adversity until the pits, until the pit is dug for the wicked. There's endurance right there to the end. Psalm 119, the word and God and the man of God all fellowshipping over the word in that psalm. Verse 75, I know, the psalmist says, O Lord, that your judgments are right and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. That's instructive chastening. When God chastens you, it's for your instruction. But there's also protective chastening to protect us from ourselves. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul tells the Corinthians who have been doing quite a bit of sinning on the side. By the way, chapter 11 is the communion Lord's table chapter. 
says, but when you are judged, when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord. Listen, here's the purpose clause, that we may not be condemned with the world. That's protection. You keep going that way, you be condemned with the world. Run this way with God, with Christ. Another example of protective chastening is found in Revelation 3, verses 19 and 20. And by the way, read about this church, and they had more wrong than you can even imagine. God says to them in corrective chastening to protect them. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. So if you're a son, you're loved. Rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. You know, you need zeal to do it the right way. Because the pattern of your life is you're doing it the wrong way. Now you're being corrected, and that means you're going to have to change a pattern and make a new pattern. Is that fun? Yes or no? Not fun. It is hard. But faith will see you through knowing by your zealousness to follow God that if you repent, you'll run better. Hold, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If, any, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. The coach is standing in the street. And this church that's being spoken to here in Revelation 3 is so centered upon themselves that they won't even open the door to Jesus. This isn't about salvation. This is about protection. They stand in danger of being judged eternally because they don't even want Jesus in their church. But if Jesus is in your church, there's going to be a lot of correction and training and rebuke. What's wrong with you today? Your head's not even in it. Do coaches talk like that? Mine did. But yet we're told as pastors, don't talk like that. Don't correct people. Just be nice. Give sermonettes for Christianettes. Give them a pat on the head as they walk out the door and tell them to go live their best life now. No. You're in training right now. Does it hurt? Somebody talk to me. Amen, it hurts. And that's the best thing that can happen. Yeah, I was in the army with a hugely talented man. You know, most of you know that my name's Fred, and most people think I'm a pretty big guy. Well, by and large, I'm above average by quite a bit. Lifted weights my whole life since 12 years old. When I arrived in Vicenza, Italy, there was a guy in my dorm room. His name was Fred, too. Fred Walters. He was six foot five and weighed 295 pounds. All of a sudden, I was labeled Little Fred. <laughs> he was Big Fred. But Big Fred had a problem. He was so blessed by God with stature, strength, and ability that he became lazy. He had this deep, growly voice like this. 
Say, I don't need to lift weights, Meekot. I'm strong enough. It's hard to argue with that. But see, he'd also played for two years for Tampa Bay as a defensive tackle. I often wondered, how'd he end up in the Army with me? He'd been to college. He'd been drafted in the NFL draft. He was on the team. He had all that ability, and he wouldn't work. How many of us are sitting in the pew saying, I can't do it, I don't have anything. I don't have the potential. I don't have the position. You're all sons of God. How much potential is unrealized because you won't work? Read your Bibles. Pray. Read ahead before you come to church. You know where I'm going to be. And be prepared in the word of God. And then to take it out and live it in the streets and say, yeah, I got to do this at home. I got to toughen up. Second negative, do not be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. Rebuke is easily discourageable. I've had lots of rebukes in my life, and I know there's more coming. Do I really want them? Yes. I say that out loud. Though as soon as I say that inside, it's like, yes. It's like ripping the Band-Aid off when you're a kid. I've got to rip the Band-Aid off. It's going to sting. Are you ready? Yes. It'll just sting for a bit. Okay. That's like rebuke. It's intense. It's intended to convict and correct. Even at the elder level in the church, it is to be administered in the church. Paul says to Timothy, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. But when you do, verse 20, those who are sinning, rebuke. And since he's a public minister, this is how it gets to be in the presence of all that the rest may fear. Most of you have been and at least watched a practice of some kind and there's one Yahoo running around all by himself around the track and the rest of the team's practicing in the middle. Why is he out there running? Because he wouldn't listen. And so he gets to run out there and think about it. And everybody knows he dogged out. David has an example of chasing. You wonder if this might be hard. David gets to be king of Israel. Oh, man, he's had a hard row. Thirteen years from his anointing until Saul was moved aside by God and he got to be king. You'd think that was enough. Nope. All Israel's united to him and they decide to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to the people, to the city of David. They go down to get it. When they came, it says, First Chronicles 13.9, to Kikidon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and he struck him because he put his hand on the ark. And he died before God. 
And David became angry. How unlike us. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. Therefore, that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of God. That day saying, how can I bring the ark of God to me? And so he didn't. He quit. Two chapters later, David's been trained. David has been rebuked. The correction was a man's life for which David was responsible. Listen. First Chronicles 15, 12, and he said to them, You are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites. Well, what happened there? They were moving the ark of God on a cart. Here's what they learned. David said to these Levites, Sanctify yourselves, you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place I have prepared for it. Verse 13, key in here. For because you did not do it the first time, since you Levites didn't carry the ark the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us. Listen, here he takes responsibility because we did not consult him about the proper order. God had written it in a book. Only Levites carry the Ark of the Covenant. They got out the acacia wood poles in it. They don't put it on a cart. They carry it on their shoulders with poles. I assume shoulders. I'm not positive, but it's with poles and Levites, not a cart. Not with oxen, with men. Chastened. Rebuked. And he got angry. That's what we need to learn from the Bible. Change takes time. God is patient, but he expects it right. Even Paul was learning as he was afflicted by God with a terrible affliction, a thorn in the side, and Ask God to take it away, take it away, take it away. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather both in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Satan sows seeds of discouragement. Your own flesh will make you weak and weary. In my opinion, Satan has a a huge storage barn full of seeds that he loves to sow in the Christian's mind. Seeds that will infect the human heart. That will grow up and strangle. Will take you off of the field, out of the run. Refusal to train. Justification of why you don't and they do. Why you can't and they can. Do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be 
rebuked or don't be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Satan would love to have you discouraged, but if you can be like Paul, Satan's seeds can't grow in a grateful heart. Did you know that? When you can look at the chastening of the Lord, when you can look at the rebukes of the Lord, when you can think of the corrections of the Lord, and you can say with Paul, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. It's one thing to quote it, it's another thing to think it. But that's faith. We trust God is going to help us run and he's going to use chastening to do it. I've got to stop. I'm glad I said if the Lord wills it, I'll get through two. I didn't even get through one. So we'll stop here by the will of God and by the will of the flesh that wants to eat lunch sometime Sunday. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time we've had to share over your word. For myself, and I know for many of you here, this message even comes by a form of rebuke, chastening. That we could be working at running far more than we have been, Lord. Forgive us. Please, Lord, let us repent. Let us come back to you like Peter. Let us return to you and be restored. But let us strengthen ourselves in you by faith and let us strengthen the brethren around, them, around us, Lord, so that we will not be weak and weary, but we can consider you, Lord Jesus, who ran before us and run by faith as well. Strengthen our hands which hang down in our feeble knees. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.